Welcome to The Mend, a podcast for victims and survivors of crime, sponsored through the Center for Crime Victim Services here in our state of Vermont. My name is Anna Nassett, and I will be the host of this show, uh, being filmed here at the Mad River TV, and you can find us on iTunes for the podcast. My first guest today for our first episode is Chris Fenno, Executive Director of the Center for Crime Victim Services. Thank you so much for being here, Chris. I'm really happy to be here. Thank, Thank you, Anna. Absolutely. So this show was created as an idea that when a crime is committed to an individual, there are resources and support available to them at the time of the crime as they go through trial, if there is, even is a trial. But eventually, that person is just left out on their own when the trial is done or if they don't pursue um, criminal charges, they're, they're left on their own to heal. And oftentimes people don't know where to go. They don't know what resources are available to them. And so this show is going to be looking at what resources are available, not only here in our state of Vermont, but resources available to people across the country. And with that in mind, we named the show The Mend because it's an idea that like we are all trying to mend. And so what are the other things that we can stitch in to help us mend as we go along? Um, I myself am a victim of crime and will identify as that and talk a little bit about how I navigate the world and the resources that I've used over the years, but I'm really focused more on seeking out what other resources there are for people um, from all victims of crime, not just mm -hmm. um, the types that I've gone through. So I'm excited to spend this podcast looking at those and investigating here in our state and nationally. Yeah. Um, I do always want to begin with a trigger warning. This show is going to be very, we want to keep it light, but we are going to be looking at resources for victims of crime. So if at any time there's something that you might find jarring, just please um, feel free to tune out and we welcome you back anytime. Today is our first show, and I am thrilled to have Chris Fenno here uh, to celebrate the launch. Chris, as I said, is the executive of the Center for Crime Victim Services and has become a good friend of mine over the last year, and this show mm -hmm. was her idea, and I'm honored that she thought of me to be the host. Thank you so much. You are welcome. And um, just as we kind of planned this out and looking at what we were going to do, I immediately wanted to have her here as our first guest to really... Um, launch off the show, but also look at what the Center for Crime Victim Services does here. Um, ours is located in Waterbury, Vermont, but there is a center in almost every single state, or uh, there is one in every single well, state. Well, there's a state agency. There's a state agency. So she's going to yeah. share a little bit more about that. Um, so thank you for being here, and I'd love to start out this interview with you just sharing a little bit of your history and sure. um, how you got into this work, whatever you feel comfortable sharing, and how yeah. you came to be in this position. Well, I often think of myself as an accidental advocate. <laughs> this wasn't, uh, the world has really changed, um, and I think for the best to recognize that, that victims need services, that they need help, and that people need, and communities need to respond to that. But, you know, 35 years ago, <laughs> I was really the things that were around were sexual assault programs, which were mostly called rape crisis centers, and battered, and battered women's shelters, which were then called battered women's shelters. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I became an accidental advocate because I was actually in graduate school in Boston, and unbeknownst to me, a friend of mine volunteered at the local battered women's shelter. 
and uh, I was studying for the ministry and she gave their recruiter for volunteers my phone number. And so they, they had an introductory meeting every month and she called me every month for 12 months. <laughs> and every time I, I couldn't go or I didn't want to go and I felt so conflicted. And finally, I was just so embarrassed. I said, fine, I'll, I'll go. And, uh, and that was the beginning. I, I started out folding t-shirts in their office um, and then helping them with some grant writing. I went through their uh, volunteer training. And it was really in the midst of the volunteer training they had a session where you actually got to think about um, domestic violence and when you first heard about it or when you suspect you heard about it because especially then, but also now, um, there isn't a, a lot of talk that goes on. It's often behind closed doors. Mm -hmm. People often are ashamed or embarrassed. They think it's they're the only one it's happening to or they might even think it's normal. And in this exercise, I grew up in the military, my dad was a career Navy man. And I started thinking in this training about the wives whispering to each other and you know, knowing who they were whispering about and then seeing her with bruises. And I never put it all together until that training, wow. um, which was quite incredible. Um, and I felt very comfortable. I, c I couldn't understand why it felt like it was in my blood, but I went from there and I've worked basically for crime victims since then. Um, Amazing. And, and it really, you know, it wasn't a career path, it wasn't anything. Um, but I do think studying for the ministry, and what I took from that was really uh, yearning for justice. And I think I found that in, you know, in religious studies, and then I found it secularly through um, victims' rights work. That's amazing. And it sounds like your friend really saw that in you when she kept <laughs> calling you every month. Like, no, 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 no. I really think you need yeah. to be here. That's incredible. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, and I think that's one thing we really want to do on this show is, is normalize some of this talk. That, mm -hmm. you know, it, it does happen behind closed doors, but we can also sit at a table and have a conversation, even if it's hard, mm -hmm. about these different um, topics. So yep. thank you for being at the foreground of that work. It's incredible. <laughs> um, so you've been with the center for a couple of years. Yep. And we share in common that we both moved here from Washington State, which mm -hmm. I love. Um, but the center has been here for 28 years? Yes. Is that correct? Okay. Could you tell me a little bit about the history of the Center for Crime Victim Services and um, yeah, just kind of how it's how it started and how it's grown. Right. Originally and in statute, it was formed to um, accept federal money for victims' compensation, and it's a federal program funded through the Victims of Crime Act. Two states, and the states pay part, and the states pay it up front, and then they get reimbursed sixty percent for qualified, in, you know, costs that a victim might have. So that's why we were originally created, and uh, we have a five-person board of directors that are appointed by the governor. And, um, and so we became this small, really small state agency doing victims' compensation. And I know we're going to get to talking about what that all might mean. But, um, and from there, uh, a, number, a couple of years later, we added our restitution unit. Um, and then because we were taking federal money, we also got the Victims of Crime Act assistance money, which we sub-grant to 
community-based partners. Um, and from that, <laughs> we just grew to really embrace our mission, which was, which is really about being a voice for victims and ensuring that services, quality services are available across the state, no matter where you live, uh, no matter what time you call, no matter what the crime is, that there will be help available. Awesome, and you do amazing work, <laughs> that's for sure. Um, so the mission of the Center for Crime Victim Services is to provide leadership to the state to ensure that justice is delivered to all victims and survivors of crime through recognition of harm done and advocacy for their rights and needs. What can you tell me about the people it serves? Um, who can access the services of the center? Well, there's, I always think of us as having three primary things we do. The first are direct services, and that's our compensation and restitution units. Um, and then, so that's our direct services. Then we also do a, millions of dollars of grants to community groups um, and all that entails. And then we provide training. And I know we're going to talk about all three of those. Um, but the agency itself, in terms of what direct services we have, do you want me to talk a little bit about what they are right now? Because I think my question would be more, um, we can, we'll mm -hmm. kind of cover that, but I think my question would be more, um, I think so often now we think of like victims of crime, it's generally like, you know, a lot of times we think it's like a sexually related crime. So like who else uses like oh. the restitution? What other, what, what's the scope? Sure. sure. And restitution and victims compensation, um, both have a requirement of the justice system involvement. Mm -hmm. So it certainly isn't there for all victims. But the restitution unit, it doesn't matter what the crime was. Um, if the business or the individual is awarded restitution during that, pro that criminal justice process, um, then we become the collector agency. Okay. So whatever crime that is. Um, likewise, with the compensation, their com victims compensation, so, I should step back a second. Usually restitution is for things. You know, you, you got your television destroyed and okay. it's going to cost $300 to replace it. So the courts might grant you $300 of um, restitution. We, would, we actually, up in, our threshold is $5,000 for um, allowable sort of costs. And we upfront it so then the victims never have to worry about it. They don't have to collect it. We collect it. We collect it whenever we we have a whole collection unit. So, mm -hmm. um, the same with victims' compensation. Compensation requires probable cause. It doesn't have to have a court um, involvement, but it does have to have a, a legal um, enforcement component. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't necessarily mean that charges are going to be filed or anything else. But there is police involvement in to establish probable cause. With probable cause, then the compensation folks can reimburse things like medical bills, transportation to court, temporary housing, um, all of those kinds of uh, charges that are related to the victimization, um, even lost wages if uh, you need to take time off work to go to court um, mm -hmm. during, the, during a trial. So those kinds of um, things are done there. Within the, <laughs> the compensation unit, is um, our sexual assault program. And it is the one sort of caveat 
you don't actually have to have law enforcement involvement. Many states you do, Vermont you do not. Um, if you present at a hospital and need a rape kit um, or an examination or anything like that, um, the center works with insurers and with our own funds to get those paid for. Awesome. Um, and that, and that's, as I say, is a little bit different because you don't need police involvement. And there are many right. rape victims who don't want police involvement. Exactly. But it does a kit, and the kit is coded, not with the victim's name, but at any time in the future, if that victim wants to do something with it, they'll have the availability to do that because the state lab holds those. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, that's really important that you give <clears throat> the victim their own agency to be able to make those choices mm -hmm. while still providing services for them. I just think right. it's such a huge, really important during a moment like that. And so we have um, staff that work with victims to come up with both for restitution and compensation with the documentation that they need in order to avail themselves of these services. Um, the third thing we do is that we support, through the state's attorney's offices, advocates in each state's attorney's office across the state. And they basically provide services for any crime victim who uh, their perpetrator is going through a trial. Mm -hmm. um, and so we have, I think we support 26 uh, advocates in, in all the counties, and they play a critical and key role um, because through grants, we support a lot of domestic violence and sexual assault programs, and there's a lot built in for that. Mm -hmm. But in Vermont, it's really through the state's attorney's offices and those advocates that other crimes um, are addressed. Yep. In addition to that, <laughs> <laughs> we also have um, carved out advocates that we support um, in the attorney general's office. Uh, so there's an advocate if they're working on a case and they need advocacy, there's a full-time advocate there. And then we also have an advocate um, with the uh, major crimes unit for the state. So, and that's a fairly new program. I think it's about two years old. And she goes out on all of the homicide calls and mm -hmm. works with families for prolonged periods of time. Yep. So. Well, and that's such important work. I mean, coming firsthand from somebody who's worked with advocates and actually is working currently with one of those advocates, <laughs> um, like it's just so paramount to know that you have that individual mm -hmm. that you can call or text and that they you know, can walk you through this process and help you make decisions and just put you at ease. Um, yep. Yeah, just to be able to ask those questions, especially when there's legal things going on that you don't understand. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, I don't have a legal degree. I don't know what's happening. So it's so awesome to be able to just connect with, with that advocate and feel that support. So thank yeah. you for that. Thank you very much. Yes. Um, so I think we just kind of went over a lot of the services. So I'm going to yep. skip to the next one. Um, as a state agency, I know that you have a voice when laws are being made. Can you talk to me about that, um, what that process looks like, and how the Center for Crime Victim Services is involved? And is there any, I mean, I know we just ended the session, but is there anything like from this last session that you're really excited about that happened? <laughs> well, um, there, there, what we do during session is that we keep an eye on all the bills that are happening. And it, they may on the surface look like why would we be interested in that? But it has some kind, it might have some kind of implication for victims. So 
this past session, I sat through a lot of hearings on um, on expulsion. <laughs> I'm trying to think, what is the name of that? Um, and that really is for a lot of misdemeanor crimes. There's all kinds of wait time involved with somebody being able to get their record uh, gone. Okay. So the reason why we were involved is because there still was a victim of something <laughs> and we wanted to be the voice and say, well, you know what? They, they really need to pay their restitution. They really need to pay their court costs and then they can get it expunged. Mm -hmm. um, so on the surface, it seems like, okay, that should be all right. But there is a lot of movement legislatively um, around wanting to, and for good, some good cause, wanting to reduce the prison population. Um, I think we all understand that almost every criminal ends up back in your community. Right. Um, and so there really is a big emphasis on wanting to uh, get the case expunged so you can get a better job and, you know, those kinds of things. And that, while that is important, we need to bring the voice of victims and say, yeah, but the crime still was committed. And right. so the restitution still needs to be paid and the court costs still need to be paid. Mm -hmm. And that's an ongoing conversation because it really wasn't dealt with this session. So we have some summer work to do, some committee work that we're gonna work on. Um, the other thing that was interesting this past session was um, eliminating the statute of limitations for civil cases around child sexual abuse. And, um, and that kind of seems like, well, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Makes sense. Um, but, you know, there's always two or three sides to every story. So I was really happy um, when that got passed because a lot of times, even during the hearings, they, I sat through one hearing where two separate victims testified and they didn't really know what was going on and what had happened to them for like 30 or 40 years. Right. Um, and I think people think you're a crime victim, you get better. Um, <laughs> and you do, even if it's still a piece of you. You either block out a piece in your brain. Um, and so I'm gonna digress one second here. Absolutely, um, please do. Yes. <laughs> um, I was, I'm a sexual assault survivor. And it happened when I was in college. And I put that piece of my brain over there. And it wasn't until I started doing domestic violence work that I went to a sexual assault training and realized that they, that they were talking about what had happened to me. Mm -hmm. And so I put it even farther back. <laughs> and it wasn't until I started working in government and had to deal with sexual assault centers in a big way um, that I realized I, I was in trouble because I was being triggered all the time. Right. And by that time, it was literally 30 years later. 30 years. And um, I was really fortunate in finding an advocate who said, have you ever tried? And she gave me the name of a therapist who used a technique called EMDR. Um, I went to three sessions and it was gone. Wow. And that is amazing to me. But so that it's never too late to want to try to, to get that piece cleaned in your brain so that you, you're not reacting to it, even if you don't know you're reacting to it. Absolutely. So, um, so I think it is quite incredible. Um, so legislatively, <laughs> we continue to watch the things that one would normally 
think we wanted to watch. Mm -hmm. um, but then also, if there needs to be tweaks in statutes, um, we work with the network, which is the network for domestic uh, violence and sexual violence. Um, we work with them on their legislative agenda um, and have a number of different committees that we sit on. Awesome. And yeah. thank you so much for sharing about your story. <laughs> I know that's a big thing, and I can understand that as well. I years, years, years later when I was in college, mm -hmm. had this moment of realizing that I had childhood sexual trauma, and that mm -hmm. didn't come up until 20 years after the fact. Or, and so it's really, you know, to be able to, I was so excited when I saw that law passed earlier this week mm -hmm. to remove that statute because it is so important that um, victims can have their, their voice heard or pursue what they need to at any point in their life. And the really nice thing about that piece of legislation is that it was kicked off last fall. Um, uh, the Department of Child and Families was involved. They brought in a victim of the um, man who abused all of the gymnasts. Yep. And she gave a talk. She gave their keynote address. And in that, she talked about statutes of limitations and what they did for victims. And there were legislators in that audience who remembered. Yep. And it became a thing that they wanted to do. So it's quite incredible to me. Um, that it, wasn't, it wasn't the center coming forward. It wasn't the network coming forward. It was the Department of Children and Families who realized this was a huge issue, had this conference, and then exposed legislators. So it, it's kind of like a rock in, a, in the water, you know, it just keeps going. Incredible. We're going to keep keep it going. Yeah. <laughs> um, so one of the things that I personally love about the center, and I've been very fortunate to participate in, is their trainings for professionals. I was very lucky to uh, go through a course called the Vermont Vic Victims Assistance Academy uh, two years ago and completely changed my life. I got to go in as a community member, and it's really, for me, launched why I'm sitting here today. Um, but could you tell me a bit more about the trainings that you have for victim service providers and others that you um, offer throughout the year? Absolutely. Uh, I think first and foremost, we offer the Victim Assistance Academy. Um, that, it, it can't be said enough that once awareness is raised and that money is available, then things change. And what changed nationally was the Victims of Crime Act. And when the Victims of Crime Act got enacted and got a fund that had millions of dollars in it, um, they were able to say to the states, you know, we, we want you to give this money out to people who are doing this work, but we also want to make sure that you know that they're doing good work. And so it was on a national level that the model for the Victim Assistance Academy started. And this was many years ago. And um, each state put their own little stamp on it. Um, Vermont, about three years ago, totally redid our curriculum and um, managed to have it, rather than like a five-day training, to do it two days, four times a year. Um, but it really is our way of uh, trying to ensure that our staff, because our staff goes through it too, that our staff um, are aware of best practice, aware of victim-centered services and how, even if you're just answering the phone, um, how all of those little things matter. So mm -hmm. it's not just, you know, the advocates that are working with victims, it's everybody in our agency. 
uh, and it is a truly wonderful thing. So we do that every year, and there's a whole process to go through to be um, admitted to that. Um, the second thing that we do is uh, we have a, a four pilot programs out there right now called Voice and Choice, and it's with it's a their restorative justice programs where we gave money um, for these re restorative justice programs that were serving offenders to actually uh, get an advocate to work with the victims. Um, and so we have training that we offer to that brand new program. Um, and then whatever else sort of comes up, we, we administer a federal grant called um, the Stop Violence Against Women grant. And the Stop grant um, came about because of the Violence Against Women Act <laughs> on the federal level and they yeah. got money available. And, what they did on the federal level was say, you know, victims do need services. But, you know, 30 years ago, victims weren't being believed or they weren't, there was lots of things, lots of barriers. And so the federal government had a caveat. We're going to give you this money, but you need to form a coordinated community response that the people who provide the direct services need to be there, but law enforcement needs to be there and prosecution needs to be there, and anyone else you want from the community. And so across the nation, and certainly across Vermont, these groups were formed. Um, and we do a whole strategic plan every three or four years. Um, we have an advisory committee. And every other year we do a training that is cross-disciplinary. So last year, it was, we brought in a national trainer on uh, sexual assault. Um, two years ago, before that, we uh, had somebody who came in and talked about uh, childhood services, child services. Um, and really, it's heavily justice uh, involved. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but advocates are also there, too, and we open it up to anybody. They don't necessarily have to be getting that stop money in the state. We still offer that training for them. In addition to that, um, we try to just stay open to what else we might, might be doing. Vermont is very lucky that um, we recently, through the Human Trafficking Task Force, the Vermont Human Trafficking Task Force, applied for and got money. <laughs> yes. And it's a joint program with the Vermont um, State Police. And they have a uh, liaison they're hiring. We hired a director. And the two of them are going to go across the state looking to see if there are core teams that can be put together so that local communities can respond to human trafficking, um, protocols and policies in place. And from that, um, really try to get the state of Vermont into a place where we're very responsive to victims of human trafficking. That that grant has a lot of training involved. And the task force, even though it's not had any staffing for years, ever, um, they have subcommittees, and their subcommittee of training trainers um, provides training across different disciplines and across the state. So we participate in that. Um, the, we also, through that program, are hiring a task force uh, coordinator. And so we're going to have actually all three of them co-housed at the center, um, even though we anticipate mostly they're going to be on the road. So we try to respond when uh, people ask for trainings and when our partner agencies ask for trainings. We also support the network to do trainings with the domestic violence and sexual assault centers. That's great. 
That's wonderful work, and I'm really excited about the human trafficking grant that you got. I think that you'll you'll often hear us on the show where we're talking about really heavy subject matter, but we're also like very excited because we're so excited to see what's happening here in our state and nationally that's going to serve victims of crime. And so we have a lot of enthusiasm and passion, even though it's really heavy subject matter. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so I'm here with Chris Fenno from the Center for Crime Victim Services, and we have a couple more questions. Um, can you tell me more about how community members can be involved in helping victims of crime in their area? I think first and foremost, um, people should look and see what's in their communities. And if they need help with that, they can call us and we can tell them what we know. Mm -hmm. um, but local is the best place to start and say, what's happening here? Uh, second all of all is to educate yourself. And it is really important because um, it's okay to not understand this. It's okay to not know what's going on. But if you want to be effective, you need to know some basic things like listening skills um, and how, how to not trigger people and those kinds of things. So um, education is a really important thing. And then working on listening skills and not judging. And I think that's probably the hardest. And um, but it is so important. You know, I think in our society, we want to fix things. Um, and a lot of times, most times, victims don't want something fixed for them. What they want to do is be heard. And that's a, that sounds really simplistic, um, but it's not. And it's really hard to listen to someone who has been hurt or harmed by crime and have them talk about that and not want to say, but have you tried this? Or, but, <laughs> you know. Um, that I, happens all the time <laughs> to me. <laughs> yes. And yeah, it is really frustrating. Yes. It's like, no, I just, need, I, I, I just need to be heard. Yep. I just need to have a conversation. Yeah. And I think, um, I think back to, I, I, the journey is long, you know, and I have certainly changed in the, the years that I've been working in the field. Um, and I went through lots of anger at times. Um, and when my son, who's going to be 21 next year, but when he was about two, I was working in a domestic violence program where we had a, a person we were working with who was murdered. And um, I was so upset by it because it shouldn't have happened the way it happened um, that I started teaching my son to say the Pledge of Allegiance and that it ended with, and justice for some not justice for all. And I carried that justice for some for many years, way too many years, before I realized that that was really blocking off my ability to advocate for people, um, to offer you know, just hope and support. And I realized I actually really do believe in justice for all. And that's what I work for every day now, is justice for all. And it feels really good to have come around and close that circle. Um, Absolutely. But this, you know, sitting with victims, understanding what is happening in your community, it's, it's huge and it's hard and, um, and it's difficult. I would say, you know, kind of like me when I went through that first training, uh, think about your family, you know. I, I really haven't met many people who haven't been victimized or a friend, friend or family member hasn't been. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, whether you acknowledge it or not, those, these people, we are all around you. So, um, so it's nice. And once you 
become open to this, you'd be surprised at how many people talk to you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, I agree with that. And I think that's really an important message that like, we are everywhere. Mm -hmm. We're your neighbors, we're your family members, we're everywhere. And um, most people don't recognize that or know that because we don't say anything. Mm -hmm. And then when you do start to talk a little bit, how many people gravitate towards you and have that same mm -hmm. thing. And then in turn, we turn and listen. Yeah. You know, that's what I really feel like has been for me is like I was heard and now I get to go out and speak, which is amazing. But in turn, then I sit down and I listen and I stay present to hold space for whoever's speaking with me. Yep, absolutely. So, yeah. And equally important if, you know, uh, if an immediate family member, a child or a niece or a nephew has grown up and then they find themselves in this situation, um, you know, if it's a domestic violence situation, for instance, but they also could just be a victim of other kinds of crimes. Mm -hmm. um, and it... If you are a victim, you want to become a survivor. <laughs> yes. Um, and the way to do that is to mend. Yep, exactly. Brought it right <laughs> back around. <laughs> um, so as we start to wrap up this episode, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you would like to cover? Oh, we've talked about it all. I think <laughs> um, my, my sort of final thoughts are that we live in a really violent world, period. We just do. It's everywhere. Um, it's it, it, it it's numbing. And what I would say is that's the worst thing we can do is become numb to it. Um, you know, and I, you hear a lot of talk about all of the mass violence that's been happening. And, you know, does it even alarm us anymore? And it actually does still alarm us. And it should continue to alarm us um, until we find some way to to assist communities to ensure that that doesn't happen. But to not get numb, I think, is really important. And then also, you know, for each person to see themselves as the port, the safe port in a storm. That if, if you make it so that you're present and you're available, then people who might need help will talk to you. I love that. Yes. That's wonderful. Well, Chris Fennell, it has been such an honor to have you here today. Um, I personally am incredibly inspired by your work, your activism, and your dedication. Um, I know that I would not be sitting here today by any stretch of the imagination if it wasn't for the work that you're doing. Um, and you've been so imperative, as has the Center for Crime Victim Services, to my own mending in life. Um, I'd like to close each show with like a little positive message. So mm -hmm. if you could share like one word or statement mm -hmm. that you have for victims and survivors, uh, what would that be? Well, there's a, a woman who does wonderful writings. Her name is Meg Wheatley, Margaret Wheatley. And she has embarked over the last couple of years in a program that she does, but I just like the title of it. And it's Warriors for the Human Spirit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we want to be warriors for that human spirit and that hum humanity in all of us. Um, and then one word, <laughs> and this is kind of a strange one. I started thinking, okay, what one word would I do? And it's really abide. And by mm -hmm. abide, I mean to continue, to last, to persist, to exist to if infinity. And that's what happens when you abide. Um, I love that. Yeah, that's a great word. Well, thank you so much, Chris Fenno, for being here today to talk about the Center for Crime Victim Services and the incredible work they do here in Vermont. 
Um, as I said, there is a state agency in every single state. So if you're listening from a different state, there is an organization like this in your state. Um, for more information on the Vermont Center for Crime Victim Services, you can check out their website at ccc or sorry ccvs.vermont.gov, or you can call them at 802-241-1250. Um, and if you have any ideas or questions about the show, you can email me personally at anna at standupresources.com. I would love to hear from you. Uh, once again, thank you so much, thank Chris, you. for being on our very first episode. I'm so excited <laughs> to see where this next year takes us. Um, we'll be follow sharing lots more on the mend. Uh, be well, be strong, and goodbye.